Welcome back to the Profitable Python. I'm your host, Ben McNeil, and on this episode, you will meet Jacob Longer. Jacob graduated from Oxford University, where he also taught at OU Computing Services, and where he now teaches as a guest lecturer. He has worked in data science and startups since 2013, most recently as a data science tech lead at Filter.com and as an R&D data scientist at Mudano. Jacob was part of Entrepreneur First, Seventh Cohort, and is the co-author of Gans in Action by Manning Publications. Jacob also designed and teaches data science courses at the University of Birmingham. Jacob, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. It's great to be here. Glad, glad to have you here. Now, before we uh, jump into too much here, I must know, uh, in case this you know, when I talk with my grandma, I have to be able to explain certain things to her. I need to know how I would explain synthetic data and synthetic content to my 97-year-old grandmother. Right. So I think um, if your grandmother is, is, is really into machine learning, then I think it, it'll okay. be easier to, to, <laughs> to maybe start at that level and then maybe like work a little bit down. So it's like, you know, uh, if, if we start with, with GANs as like sort of the starting point, which obviously uh, in a super short period of time is kind of difficult to explain, but it's basically two neural networks battling each other to produce best uh, possible outcomes, uh, in, in, sorry, best possible data that comes from the similar distribution as the original one. So more, in more concrete terms, if we're trying to paint a painting and we have an art critic, almost like a teacher, right? So these two neural networks act, one as a teacher, one as a student, sort of, and they try to produce, let's say, paintings or pictures. And that, you know, is it's one of the first steps towards synthetic data. So um, obviously we have, so on, uh, we have seen a revolution in, uh, you know, computer vision and, and all sorts of supervised applications where humans have labels and humans have sort of the, the data that matches those labels. And then you basically figure out how to map the picture of the cat to the label cat and so on. So for your grandmother, we could, you know, then use this concept of using this sort of teacher and, and student, uh, you know, student painter or whatever to create new pictures of cats. Um, and uh, over time, Gans got so good at it that people started thinking about, you know, how do we actually synthesize this, this data to be something useful? So uh, right now there's lots of uh, applications in computer vision and GANs are getting better every day in almost every other data domain. So to some extent, there's already a breadth of, of different data types in which GANs works pretty well. So um, mm -hmm. that's kind of like my best summary of, of jumping all the way to synthetic data and how I think about it. Uh, but I uh, hope it is it's reasonably clear even to someone who's like not that into machine learning. Yeah, I think, I think it sets the stage. Um, it, and certainly, I guess we're, the technology is kind of new. So we're, is it safe to say we're still kind of learning about it? Or is it, are we kind of beyond that? And now we're, wh where would you kind of uh, explain that, I guess? Right. So, I mean, I have, I have lots of thoughts on this. I think uh, just kind of a quick summary of uh, how I see it. So, obviously, like deep learning, the foundations of deep learning have been kind of put in like the late 1990s. Um, and since then, really what's changed is the data and the algorithm. And uh, sorry, the data and the compute power, the algorithms have largely remained the same. 
Now, hmm. uh, GANs, uh, the very first paper was in 2014. So it, it's not actually been that long. Uh, admittedly, there's been a lot of interest. Uh, and, and, you know, I think there's now over 10,000 papers in GANs hmm. from one, you know, in 2014, some five years. That's massive growth. And um, I think we're, we're still trying to, like, you know, think about the technology and really make it work in the same way that, you know, now there are actually lots of successful examples of deployed deep learning applications. But of course, even that has a long tail, right? Like, so Google and, and, and Facebook are going to be very different than, you know, uh, your sort of run of the mill, like uh, company that is trying to sort of catch up with all the technology trends. So, mm. so of course there's a, uh, you know, there's like the bleeding edge and, and I think it's over time getting adoption, but you know, even deep learning, I don't think that's really trickled down to every you know, company that could use it. So there's still a lot of opportunity for those folks out there that are like, man, I wonder if I can still get in on this. There's plenty of opportunity left. Yeah, for sure. I think, I think especially on the generative uh, side of things, I think the commercial opportunities are definitely not trivial, but I think they're still severely like unexplored. I okay. think, um, there's, uh, I think generally the challenge I've seen with putting like the get, getting value out of generative models is that usually you need a substantial expertise in something else as well, because there's usually maybe not so much value in just the, like the, 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 the GAN itself, you need to pair it with a really like good problem and, and your knowledge about that problem. Mm, yeah, that's, uh, I'm so happy you brought that up. Like you can't just, uh, <laughs> like you have to have domain expertise or like have a team kind of around it if you really want to exploit, uh, what, what this technology has to offer. That's what yeah, it sounds like. Right. Awesome. Yeah. So how did you get started in data science? Right. So I think it's, uh, it's interesting cause I was, uh, I think, I mean, I was writing my like first serious programs, I guess in, I mean, it was still kind of like, you know, mostly websites and simple like, uh, like C++ and Java and stuff like that in high school. Um, and then at like university, I took, took a lot of statistics courses and I was like really keen to, to basically get more and more like into like statistical economics, especially. Okay. Um, and so, and then in 2013 I had, uh, my first internship in data science uh, at Pearson. Um, I think it was the, the first UK-based data science team. And then, um, like, that was a fantastic team. And I, I, I like, really loved the, the fact that I can marry those two worlds, the programming and the, and, the, and the statistics. So I was just really, like, fortunate to, to have that opportunity. And uh, so then I, then they offered me a contract. Um, so that, and then, you know, that sort of solidified my, uh, my, my desire to go into that field. Cause, cause, you know, I tried some things beforehand and, 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 you know, when I started doing machine learning, I was like, yep, this is what I want to do. Like, this is like, you know, what I, and I've been in it ever since. Yeah. It sounds like a real natural progression. You just, you figured out what you liked and, and, uh, it was just available for, for the taking. So you went after it. Yeah, that's I think awesome. Also, it, yeah, thanks. I think it was also a really good time back then, right? Because mm. I mean, of course, these things like have a natural progression. I think you know, I, and I guess outside of the valley, right? Like 
um, not very many people were really seriously doing like machine learning and data science in 2013. So, you know, right, like I don't think there was a single data science course in, in the, like I think in all of UK and, mm. and, uh, and US. And I think there was like very hand, like very few like AI courses, but like what they meant by AI generally was like symbolic AI, which is not really what we use today. So like even globally, like there was no like, you know, natural progression. So everyone kind of, you know, got into ML and data science in their own weird way back then. Like there was no like clear path. Whereas now there's, there's a lot more opportunities and a lot, lot more like direct, more direct paths towards it. Yeah. So, so would you say you got into it before it was like the sexiest job title on the planet, uh, data scientist? So I think the, the yeah the the uh, exactly right like I think the the article uh, the HBR article that really became like you know the, the I think a lot of companies and HR departments started obsessing about it uh, quite shortly afterwards I think that came out 2012 and that was around the time when I took my first like uh, ML course okay um, so I I don't think it was like quite before that but I would I would say to some extent it was before it was cool at least in London like I don't know if it was like yeah. Okay, excellent. Um, what would you say your uh, first success was with data science? My first success? That's interesting. So I think, I mean, I think the first time when I really looked at how powerful that set of techniques was, I remember was, uh, I think it was a, like, I think one of the first courses of Coursera before they redesigned it was like, John Hopkins University put this like uh, like they're basically like graduate course in, in biostatistics on, on online and uh, basically they put the, the same thing that they already had were teaching in, in the real course hmm. uh, and uh, and there was they redesigned it after to I think make it a lot easier unfortunately but like back then it was really like it made you kind of sweat um, and uh and i remember like i was struggling so hard to like get linear regression to work like the most traditional statistical methods mm -hmm. and then you know a couple lessons later they like showed you this random forest like algorithm and you like realize that you know it it puts like two weeks of work you know into you could put it in the trash can and then it's gonna <laughs> outperform it like like nothing else so so i think it was like you know you realize like oh wow, this is really powerful, right? Um, so that was like the first success where mm. I kind of could see, like, I guess it wasn't like, you know, it was just kind of like showing it to me rather than like, you know, I get to like uh, show something. But I think it was really, um, I think it was a really uh, sort of visceral experience that, you know, you just kind of understood like, okay, this is, this is a good uh, like set of techniques that allows you to like leapfrog a lot of, effort that you'd otherwise have to put in hmm. um, yeah, yeah th that's powerful i mean success is different for everyone so uh i i think that answer is great thanks for sharing yeah uh i mean what, i think oh sorry, go ahead go no go for well, it man yeah yeah so I, I would i would say like the other um maybe if you're if we're if we're looking for something like more um more applied where we can you know we could uh like see some more like business application. Uh, I think the, an interesting moment was, uh, I remember 
actually the first startup where I worked was filtered.com. They were doing like personalized education. And uh, basically they wanted to do a, like sort of suggestions of modules for, for in, in a course hmm. of depending on your interests, your current knowledge and your like job specification, not your job title, but like kind of what you do day to day type of thing. And so yeah. they had this really old algorithm that they wrote in R, uh, sort of like decided it kind of worked. Um, and then uh, tried, rewrote the whole thing in PHP, which hmm. I think sounds really painful, uh, but they <laughs> no, did it. I'm yeah, just kidding. Exactly. I'm just yeah. kidding. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, and uh, then then they like, they deployed it, but of course it's like, it didn't work a lot of the time and they just shut it off and it was, it was, uh, there were, there were some challenges with it. Um, so I think one of the key things why I saw like data science, especially data science in Python, seeing as we're in profitable Python, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, was that, you know, I was able to basically replicate what they did just by using a couple of the like, really like, you know, standard, uh, op open source libraries in, in just like, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks, maybe a month. Uh, and and you know mm. deliver something where where every the whole stack is in Python the, the algorithm that you ran for the experiments is the same one that you deployed in production so it had a lot of these benefits right yeah. uh, and and I think especially in Python we're really fortunate because a lot of the like the end to end like tool chain is basically ready for you in in one language uh, I mean if you're Google then maybe you need to like you know, think about different ways of faster ways of deploying. But even then, like, you know, basically most of what you'll be using is Python, which is great that mm -hmm. you don't actually have to leave the language to, to really make it work, or at least as a, you know, in the early stages. So I think it's, uh, mm. it's, uh, it's, a, it's another example where like data science specifically in Python is like really powerful. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I couldn't agree more with that. And uh, I need to, I need to, <laughs> The whole PHP thing, like seriously, 70% of the internet or something runs on PHP. I, uh, I just, I know that there's like a, like people are like religious about, um, their technologies and stuff. And, um, so I need to, I need to confess, like, I, I don't, I, I think all things have a purpose. So like what, what you're talking about, like Python had a purpose, R had a purpose at one, you know, for one stage in the game, PHP got it off the ground. So anyway, I need to uh uh regress there for a second and just like you know be like i i was i was joking when i when i made the uh the red the red x but uh it's it's what um you know it, it's what are, your clients don't care what you use to solve the problems yeah. right yeah so, exactly all right i'm off my soapbox there so uh <laughs> what uh let's see what are your goals for industrial use of synthetic data or should we just be calling it gans from here on out well, so I think as, as much as I would love to tell that it's, you know, GANs are the, the only tool in, in the box, because I think that's probably the technique that I'm most comfortable with. I think okay. that's probably not, not doing justice uh, to, to a lot of the, a lot of this synthetic data work. I think, uh, you know, there's a lot of other techniques. I think I tend to kind of focus on the GAN, GAN aspect of it, because I think that's where I'm most familiar, but also like I, you know, it, it's funny, like, as, as when you're kind of close to the research, you kind of have constantly like this, this, uh, 
this periodicity of like, oh yeah, this is gonna like absolutely revolutionize everything, and then you're like, oh, nothing really works, you know. It's like this this crisis of confidence that you you periodically get. So right now I'm I'm, I'm uh, I saw a couple of good papers come out this week, so I'm like uh, re re like restoring confidence uh, in in like how this is gonna pan out. Um, yeah. But but I think the like I think. Synthetic data is really interesting for, for a lot of reasons, right? Like you can have something like domain adaptation, which is where you have like, so especially in computer vision, which I guess is probably where I, I is probably one of my like spikes in terms of like where I know a little bit more. Mm -hmm. um, I think, you know, you can kind of think of like one domain as like having w one city or, um, you know, one country. Um, and you gather data for your like, you know, a self-driving car or, you know, a augmented reality um, app or whatever it is, right? You're gathering data. But of course, like, you forget about the fact that, you know, uh, like road signs and traffic, uh, and even traffic lights and then sort of uh, the, the way that it, that the streets are organized are very different in in Europe and in the U.S. Even the highways, like uh, like of course, like in the U.S., you mostly have like yellow uh, color for the lines on on the side in the middle, whereas mm -hmm. in Europe it's usually white. Mm. And then you know, so there's like all these subtle differences. But if your algorithm learns that you know it should look out for yellow color or white color as a as a way to to mark the line, like this is a really simple example. And and of course, like all anyone who's you know even somewhat familiar with self-driving cars like they would obviously know that or but but this this can like have lots of different uh you know implications so one of the things that gans are, are and and like other techniques are as well especially gans and thinking in this case is is good at translating like one domain into another so you can basically take your training set and make it look more like you know a, a city in europe or a city in us um, you know, or, or daytime, nighttime translation. So that's one of the things that I was kind of uh, working on, on the, uh, for the past few months. Um, so that's one of the applications that I, I'm personally really excited by because I think hmm. that that long tail of applications, the 1% the, the, the where you don't have the data, right. that's, that's, that's the 1% that you need to fix the most, right? Because no, no one wants more, you know, uh, highway footage uh, because that's boring, right? Uh, so in fact, even Tesla like throws most of that out, right? okay. but because they don't need it, right? What, what you want more data is all the edge cases, right? Like if there's a forest fire or if there's like, you know, a, a, a block, you know, a road blockade, or if there's like some sort of some special, you know, case happening uh, for whatever reason, emergency services, like speeding by or whatever, right? All these, mm. all these edge cases are exactly when, when you need the, the data to perform the, the best and you know of course hmm. that's why you have fewest fewest data so that's one of the things that i'm personally really excited by like enabling the like sort of robustness through synthetic data and and if i'm hearing you correctly that synthetic data is able to kind of generate more uh more information for the models to consume or to learn on in these edge cases where the data isn't necessarily like abundant type is, is yes, that what i'm exactly. understanding Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, man, my, I, uh, I'll, I'll just proceed with my questions here, but like this is definitely a thought-provoking uh, interview. So thanks for sharing that. Mm. Yeah, of course. So if you could give three tips to people on how to make money with this synthetic data technology, what would those be? 
Mm. Yeah, so I think there's definitely a lot of, um, so one application that I think is really cool and there's lots of really cool digital artists. Uh, so mm, I mean, it depends that. like, yeah. So I think there's uh, like um, Helena Saren uh, or uh, like she's, she's one of the most prolific, I'd say. Uh, I don't, I, yeah, there's, there's a whole bunch more that I'm blanking on right now. And some of them have really complicated last names. So I don't want to butcher <laughs> them. But, you uh, are forgiven. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but um yeah, so so I think there's a lot of, especially if you have some sort of interest, like I, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily expect that to be a, a massive money-making machine, though the first one I think did sold for like almost uh, half a million dollars. Um, but, you know, I don't know, I don't know how repeatable that is. Right. Um, but I think there's definitely, there's definitely a lot of interesting applications in like synthetic or digital, um, digital art. Um, I think there's a lot of interesting applications, especially when it comes to sort of um, 3D like asset uh, generation. Like that's something that I've been, been looking at last uh, last couple of weeks. Um, okay. Then not 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 all of them are using GANs. Like there's there's a lot of different techniques, but um, there's a lot of interesting ways to basically like either generate new scenes or synthetically or like yeah synthesize new scenes or or reconstruct 3d objects as a as a mesh as a basically like take a photo or a video of some everyday scene and then make that into the the you know the 3d point clouds that you can then you know work with in a in some sort of um, unity type environment hmm. um okay. so, so that that that's really interesting and i think um yeah and i think the third area is, is there's definitely a lot of like uh potential for uh some sort of like data data augmentation domain adaptation tools in, in terms of like helping people kind of get more out of their data because i think you know um like hmm. academics have been saying for a long time that like the revolution will be unsupervised or whatever and i think because and i think that's one of the things that's really powerful about gans is that they actually don't need those labels and if you already have a labeled data set there's a great way to squeeze more out of it. Hmm. So, so I think, I think that's, uh, that's uh, how I think about it because I, I, I think it's interesting that there is, you know, so I think that the step change from what we could do in computer vision, like, you know, let's say, let's say five to 10 years ago and what we can do now is massive. And yet hmm. I think that the, the adoption is probably slower than I'd expect. And I think part of that is maybe regulatory and I think part of that is, is just the, the, the data gathering process takes so long time, such a long time and there's not really that much of good like, data tooling, I think. Yeah. So yeah, so that's my take on it. Okay, excellent. And it, there is a little barrier to entry um, with the computing power. I know when I was trying to do some GAN work on my computer, I was like, man, this is, like you actually need kind of performant machines too. Is that uh, right. is or is there a way? To, do you think that'll ever change? Um, so I mean, it's it's interesting. So I think you definitely do now. I mean, there's a lot of like good places to get started. So Colab is a free Colab. gives you a free free GPU. I think they yeah. even give P P100s now sometimes. Uh, it's a bit of a lottery. 
Um, and then, mm. um, you know, Kaggle has, uh, gives you, I think that they also give P hundred. So, so like you can, you can kind of use that, use that for your own purposes if you want to or upload your data to Kaggle and then use it there. Okay. Um, so these are like ways to get started. Um, I think generally like, you know, obviously a lot of good papers in this field are published by NVIDIA and that's not an accident. Um, hmm. So, so yeah, yeah. So I think for, for the, some of the cutting edge work, you do need, uh, you do need, uh, and like pretty powerful machines, but you know, realistically the same thing is happening at NLP, right? Like open, I don't know, like the, the, the big, uh, natural language models, like they, they take months for on massive clusters. Right. So again, mm. out of the reach of, of humans as to whether, or like everyday, you know, humans that don't have a you know, massive corporation backing them, but, uh, -huh. uh uh, as to whether that will change, I, I think it could. Um, I, I, I don't really know how, how it will pan out. So I think the same way that we have, you know, sort of discovered uh, or like started using transfer learning in, in computer vision and in LLP, I think there is some evidence to suggest that uh, this could be possible in GANs as well. It seems like my personal limited experience with this suggests that there is a uh, um, there is um, sort of very, like it's very sensitive to any changes in the data set. So if it, if it's, or, and not any, like if it's too much, it's, I feel like a lot more fragile than a lot of the other transfer learning techniques right now. Uh, I think that could be a factor of the, like of the relative newness of the field, uh, mm -hmm. but it could be an inherent factor to GANs. Like I'm not, I'm not sure. Um, I just had a heck of a time getting them to converge. Like it was uh, like, I don't know if I, it's just uh, like ignorance on my part. Luckily ignorance is curable, but uh, it was just, it was really challenging to get them to converge on like the NIST uh, fashion, mm. like tradi just traditional, you know, like mm. data sets and stuff. But uh, right. yeah, it's. So I think, I mean, I don't know. So, so my experience, I, I do think that when I started out, it was quite difficult for me as well. Okay. Um, and I think, I think that's a factor of, of also the architectures, right? Like when, I, when equivalently, when I was like, a, I don't know, 2015, six, something like that, when I was like really only kind of knew about GANs and was starting to work with ComNets, um, I think I, um, I was uh, like surprised at how like most of the changes that I did to like a normal like MNIST like MNIST or ImageNet classification uh, algorithm really made it worse. And I think um, I think it's partially a function of um, you know understanding what kind of like at least a little bit of the context of what you're doing. And I think mm -hmm. that's obviously a skill that you have to build, and it's very hard to shortcut. But I think there's also a, a faction of like we're in constantly improving the, the training algorithm, the training techniques and stuff uh, and, and you know, the, the regime that in which you're training it. So I think with GANs, I think these days, I think if you use like a stable architecture like WGAN or some like NSGAN with like spectral normalization, uh, you will probably, or like DCGAN or something like that, uh, you, will, you will probably get reasonable results on most data sets uh relatively quickly i would say um okay. i mean well relatively quickly like it still need a lot of compute it's much more computational intensive than the classification algorithm but you know it, like it will it will it will you will definitely be able to stay within the bounds of like the free compute of colab or agile 
Um, so yeah, I, I think I think uh, there's there's those two factors, and I think it's uh you know make sure that you're using kind of like the latest on the research, but also like you know building the intuition for kind of what works and what doesn't. Okay, so is there some value in learning about vanilla GANs, or or or, or do you think we're better off just kind of like looking more to like the 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 finer tuned um technology i guess you said there's like wgan dc gan gan yeah there's a mm -hmm. yeah so i i think i think um the way that i think about it is like you, you should like learn about content and you should learn about like the first set of architectures right like i think i think the the basis is definitely uh useful right as just like knowing it ha a it has been done why it has been done and roughly what were the results right so three things whereas hmm. um so whereas i think in gans again i would start with like you know some like the, some of the like vanilla like probably like an ns gan like non-saturating gan like was basically the or the original one um and uh and you i think it's worth knowing about it and knowing what how you know how it happened why uh but when you're actually trying to like you know run something that you're like even if it's a toy project like you probably wouldn't start with like Lynette or something like that when it was classification because that was like 2012 2013 something like that equally you wouldn't start with the original like vanilla again right so mm. like I, th I think it's just like so you know like if you take ResNet so it, as a classification like kind of benchmark then probably I guess WGAN would be like the would be like the the sort of starting point for for uh, for GANs but of course like I just want to say like you know the field is much younger than you know classification so you know there will be hiccups yeah it's uh and, and um like a good resource for example you wrote you you co-authored the GANs in action book is there like what are some other ways to help kind of accelerate the learning curve? Cause I know I want to just touch on what you were talking about where you said like, there's not really any shortcuts. So is there a way since our time is finite, is there a way to kind of optimize our learning mm. efforts? Not, mm. not asking for shortcuts, but hopefully that, right. that question makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I see what you're saying. I think like I would say the way that um okay so so my initial reaction i maybe it's not fully formed yet is i uh, and maybe there is a better way but i think i think initially when you come into a field i really like to have structure i really like to have like sort of some sort of framework so mm -hmm. um and i think that was part of the challenge of writing the book as well was that actually you know we largely had to come up with the, the structure i think that ended up as we were writing it some some papers kind of came out that attempted to do something similar but like by that point we already had to had the structure in our heads you know and sort mm. of like organize the book kind of accordingly so um and then we of course like the field kept evolving very quickly underneath so we had to keep adding and so on mm. but um but uh, i think you know some some sort of resource that gives you like this this initial structure i mean obviously like um you know that there's there's like um i don't know if there's a course i think there's a couple of other books um i don't really think like like blog posts are maybe 
a good way to check whether you're interested in the field or not. I think that's, you know, it's good, good knowledge, but I think it's hard to, to get this like kind of like understanding of like where everything sits, at least for me, like uh, that, you know, other few people might feel differently. And then okay. once you have the structure and you can contextualize links a lot faster. So I think I would, you know, then blog posts are great. Um, there's, um, I think there's a lot of really good um, resources on, um, so there's like, like papers with code is like a really good, when I'm trying my research and new uh, papers with code.com and, okay. and it's like, it's like open source kind of like you can submit, uh, people submit their like papers and their results. And then uh, if, if there's repos, there's link to the, the GitHub repos. So I think that's like hmm. when I'm starting a new problem, that's usually how I look at it. It's like, I um, look at some sort of, you know, I try to set up the structure in my head, then look at where the cutting, like where the state of the art is, where it's like the, the best performing results, uh, ideally with some sort of code that I can look at to, to understand, um, you know, read some, skim some papers and, and see what their results are um, and roughly how they differ. And, and then, you know, try to like, you know, implement replicate come with some of them uh implement something that that's that's my current process um okay whether it's the best one i don't know but yeah that's what i'm doing i i mean it makes sense and uh definitely thought-provoking like it kind of makes me wonder like what is my algorithm for like trying to you know just figure out something new and uh what you're saying really resonates with me kind of get the lay of the land figure out what what is in the realm of possible and kind of these bounds and then, uh, then you can start to kind of dig into these other resources. But um, you need to have you need to have something to give that you can uh, have like context when you go making decisions. Like, oh, this is good for me. This is bad for me. If you don't know the framework, then you're. It, I, I don't even know what you call that. That's <laughs> trouble. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, thanks for sharing that. Um, if if somebody was going to get started in data science, what would they need to invest in as kind of their first? tool or skill set mm, that's really interesting so i i it's it's been a debate that initially when i was starting i was like i think i, I got it engage i started engaging with a lot and i think the first question that you should ask yourself is what kind of data scientist do you want to be because awesome. i think data science is uh is very uh it people use that term very loosely i think and i think mm -hmm. it means a lot of people mean very lots of very different things, which is part of the reason why I usually like, you know, say that, you know, the, to people that, you know, to, to more technical people that, that, or that, that I'm like in machine learning, yeah, like data science is like what a lot of people would be like familiar with, uh, but like machine learning is like the, the go-to uh, like differentiation because I think that makes it clearer. Uh, but like data science, um, I think broadly has like two types. I think one of them is like more like, a type like analyst type and then there's b type which is like the builder type and and i think the you know like on one hand the analyst you know like you basically like a lot of what you're doing is like you know, trying to communicate clearly like obviously you could be doing still a lot of like data pre-processing a lot of like you know running different types of algorithms a lot of what you what you do is about like the the, the stakeholder management maybe you know eventually managing teams yourself um you know sort of understanding the business impact of your decisions 
uh, and and sort of really really trying to uh, make clear the the business impact and and sort of like you know almost has like this this like product managementy type uh, aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Whereas the the builder type, I think that's much more akin to like a software engineer. Like you're you're like the the top skill that you need there is definitely uh like good software engineering practices like really digging into like you know some some devops some like you know how do i write code so that it's you know uh sort of easy to understand and easy to debug and uh you know can be picked up by another person and and write documentation and and all these Mm. different things because then you know then all that context matters um i think there's probably a third type but i think uh that that tends to have a very well defined path, and if you don't know you're already that type, it's probably pretty <laughs> difficult. A very long long term journey to be like the researcher, right? Whereas okay. like I, I think to be the researcher, which I think is still like you know a very attractive field for a lot of people. I think you genuinely need to invest a lot a lot of time in understanding the the mathematics and the the you know the assumptions behind the algorithms and like really super low level details of of how a lot of these things are implemented and why um so the researcher is a very long-term project and i think um you know generally you probably already need to be in some sort of a no it's not a universal rule but as a as a rule of thumb you probably need to be involved with either a phd program and one of or one of the like uh what do they call them like placements whatever a lot of these like ai labs now have like a year placements of some kind that you can just go and do research yeah. okay and that's usually after you've achieved something uh some sort of level academically or is it like a like you you wouldn't get your phd in tandem with a program like that right or would you no so i think most of the time what well so when i've seen so, so either people do this either post phd or post like okay um some <clears throat> some even some masters uh, students are Depends slightly, I think, where okay. what, where you're coming from. So I think, I I, I think it's po- if, from what I understand, like it's possible to get into like even without either of those two. But then you probably want to do a lot of open source work and like really have something to show for it on like you know your mm. GitHub profile or or something similar yeah. or some publications. Um. So yeah. So I think these are the you really need to be like dedicated to the research though i think in some some in some demonstrated way yeah thanks for dissecting that um i i will certainly be parlaying the uh kind of like the your response to kind of dial these questions in cuz i like to uh um get different people's perspectives on these i never get the same answer twice like it's a, it's, <laughs> but, uh, I, I certainly appreciate your perspective of how you segmented that. And that gives some people a framework to kind of, you know, if they're new to the space, kind of like, Oh, these are some options for me. So thanks for sharing that. That's cool. Um, what, what kind of skills do you recommend, uh, junior data scientists start growing first that don't take mm. as m- much, uh, effort in order to be successful kind of like that 80 20 mm-hmm. yeah so i think almost so i think the the early steps are probably similar for a lot of them like i think all 
like just you know be comfortable with like the command line like just because you know you're data scientists and generally you start with like either uh either a pre sort of pre-configured collab or someone else deployed Jupyter notebooks for you or whatever like that doesn't mean that uh that's that's how it's gonna work the the you know your entire time i think almost always you need to go back and look at the data, fix the data, move it around, whatever it is that mm. you need to do. So I think getting comfortable with the command line, definitely uh, a really useful skill, no matter which of those cat three categories you fall into. Um, and then I think it, it, like, you know, the further up you go, the, the, the more, you know, it's, it's like specific it becomes to each one of those three types. Yeah. I would say that um, maybe, I think like there's definitely value in all of them for, for like best practices and coding. The challenge I personally find with that is that actually there is very little, there is very little like resources that are accessible and practical uh, in some, in some sort of well-structured manner. I think a lot of it you kind of take up by osmosis, but that's not really the best uh that's not really the best uh way to learn it so mm -hmm. i i don't know i think you know some courses when you take them like online or like MOOCs or one of those like platforms that offer video courses like very frequently they um the, they would have good people who have like good uh software engineering practices and i and i think i think it's important to like take note of that and like think about why they have structured the code that they structured the way they structure it. I think that's probably the best one I could come up with. Okay. Uh, or this, at least that's the one I'm using. Um, I, so just like take note whenever you see code that seems interestingly structured and think about it, like, could I structure it better? Or is this, is this much better than what I could come up with? And, and I think mm. um, that's, that's probably a good place to start. Um, I, I don't know. I, I think I would love if, that was like a good, uh, yeah, good resource that I could recommend that for, for data scientists to like kind of hone that skill set because I think it's super important. Um, mm -hmm. But I think again, maybe less so for the for the for the analyst and then for the for the builders or for the researchers. Though I mean, some of the academic codes it's not very nice. Yeah, that's. Uh... I, I I see kind of the the flaw in, in some of these questions when, when it comes to like the data science, like it's really hard to answer that question and clumping everybody into that bucket. Uh, yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying there. Um, what are the most, so maybe just uh, switching gears a little bit because, so you specialize more in like the research and the machine learning end. So uh, when I say data science, we'll just approach the question, I guess, with that with that bucket. What are the mm -hmm. most difficult skills to grow as a, a data scientist in those in in the niche that you specialize in, but are mm. but are totally worth it? So they're super mm. hard, but they're totally worth it. Yeah. So I mean, I I think like having being comfortable with like modern cloud infrastructure, at least for me, and maybe this is a function of the fact that, uh, you know, last three, four years, I've really been working on 
in in either like a, almost like a consulting setup or in like in, in startups or mm-hmm. maybe longer actually maybe five um but uh um so cloud infrastructure super important like i remember like when i first logged into like aws console i was terrified and when i first log, logged into like, google google cloud i was confused so uh, you know i despite the fact that you know by that time i already kind of knew aws but google managed to confuse me again mm-hmm. um i think they both have their pros and cons um it's just that they're like they're designed differently uh to some extent and then um Yes, but I think it's so worth it because then you can sort of unblock yourself when you need when you need uh, to do something. It's obviously it it, it could have a pretty steep uh, learning curve, I would say, yeah. um, because of course like, there's so many things, but that there's you know already with Docker and 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 ECR if you need it, like there that's been such a game changer uh and you know lambda function i get the well there's no point in me just like uh vomiting up a bunch of terms without really explaining them but but i think in general there is uh there's a lot of tools that make your life so much easier that that you like couldn't believe but you, it, it'll it'll be hard to to, to learn them at first and under, and maybe wrap their head around all of the some of the intuitive and non-intuitive concepts that exist in the cloud but because you're in the cloud you have now much more options with how you want to, you know, uh, you know, paralyze against, uh, paralyze across a hundred machines. That's totally doable, right? right? Mm-hmm. Whereas, like in your local data center or even your local machine, that's never you can you never have that option. So yeah. I think it takes a little while to, to 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 like one switch that mindset, but two like you know definitely takes a while to, to acquire that skill set to to be comfortable with it. But it's definitely worth it, um, and uh, it enables like a lot of like I think it, it's it's a big productivity gain, um, especially if you work in an organization that's already in the cloud. Then you know you can you can really like get going a lot faster. Yeah, that that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. I kind of want to I kind of want to invert the question a little bit now and ask you, mm-hmm. what are some? So as a beginner, it's kind of like you can get into the weeds so fast. So what are some mm-hmm. things to like definitely stay away from? Mm-hmm. So I've noticed, I've noticed that a lot of people, especially that come out of those more academics, like masters and PhD programs, mm-hmm. is that they, uh, I mean, I, I don't know, like, it seems such an obvious thing, but like, they assume that a lot of what they're going to be doing is like, hyperparameter optimization, or, you know, deciding whether to to use like, this type of ensemble or whatever like or squeezing that like you know uh like extra extra 0.1 percent of accuracy and and reality is no one cares and almost all of the time no Mm. one cares about what algorithm use what hyperparameters use like uh that is true even as a builder uh maybe a little bit less so definitely as an analyst like most of your stakeholders will probably be less technical than you uh, almost by definition so there's no point in in you know drowning them with all this math um, so, um, I, I think that that's, uh, I think, yeah, if I had to like structure it a little bit better, I think one is definitely like get away from this, like thinking about the algorithms and like all these academic methods, just like, you know, get something quick and dirty going and then improve it over time. And you'll discover that most likely the things that you need to fix are totally not the things that you'd optimize are things like, you know, is it running fast enough? Do I have like enough? 
like fast enough latency, like you know, uh, or like turnaround for inference time? Do mm -hmm. I have enough? Do I have a way to deploy it? Do I have a way to scale it if I need to? Right? Like they, these are all the things that you'll probably not think about, especially not coming out of these programs, at least in my observation. Uh, and then um, so that's number one. And number two is communication. I think a lot of it comes like people kind of get because they get so like that's they get taught about all these different things and and maybe they will kind of want to show off or i don't know like uh it may or maybe they just like you know it's just like becomes your whole life um so so you like then start talking about a lot of things that maybe come very naturally to you but like definitely don't come very naturally to others so i think knowing yeah. how to simplify when to simplify uh and, and you know how to still communicate the important concerns while like ignoring everything else uh i think that's that's a that's a skill again that uh that none of people pay attention to and, and jump straight into the the weeds as you say so so i think that's maybe those are like two things to like avoid yeah and i I've, I've uh experienced that firsthand like you're in a you're in a, a room of different stakeholders it might be the the owner of the company and some other like disciplines that are kind of interweaving with the process that you're trying to optimize or something. But you know, that sometimes like the eyes start to glaze over or like, mm -hmm. you know, you're, you're yeah. in trouble there. And I was just wondering, like, have you, do you have any advice for us? Cause somewhere down the line, we're going to have to like pitch this technology if we're trying to monetize our skills, but mm. you can't say like, you know, you can't be referencing these, uh, papers and the math and stuff like that's not going to win the bid. What kind of uh, insight do you have on like pitching your idea to non-technical people, I guess, but they're ultimately the, right. the people with the wallet yeah, or the credit yeah, card, yeah. you know? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think, you know, again, I think a lot of it might, might sound really obvious, but I think it's like, I still think a lot of people get it wrong and I think it's important to go start with the fundamentals, which is first of all, like know your audience, right? Like really, yeah. really simple advice. Uh, at the beginning of pretty much every presentation, uh, especially to a larger crowd, especially if I don't have context for why they're there, if I'm doing any public speaking, but I, I don't know, I've never been to this conference. I don't know like what it is. Right. Um, I, I always ask like, okay, so, you know, starting from like really simple, like, you know, can I just get like a show of hands of like how many people have at least like heard of a continent or whatever, right? And then you can kind of understand, you know, and then you can ask some more, like, you know, ask like three or four questions and you can see like, you know, where you start and how quickly you drop off to like get a sense of the room of like how, you know, what level of complexity to include and what's going to be interesting and valuable. Um, mm, you know, obviously yeah. like reading your audience, right? Like you can, you can kind of tell I've noticed I have, a, I struggle a lot when it's in a country or a culture that I that like don't like, maybe I'm not as engaged with. I mean, yeah, ironically, so I was born in Prague. Uh, okay. And ironically, even in the Czech PyCon, when I was, when I was talking, I think it kind of happened to me where I was like, I don't really know if I've lost most people or if they're just kind of like not used to a very interactive like presentation okay so um so it's interesting because there's nothing in london i think especially uh around the uk in general like i can kind of get a sense of the room yeah um and so um whereas like i think yeah and americans tend to be super proactive so i think that's not usually not a concern um but i think uh you know so some of the other some if i if i go somewhere else like sometimes i 
I, I have trouble reading the audience if I'm not like super familiar with like, you know, what's going on, but like yeah. trying to estimate like, you know, are, are people engaged, right? Like, are they paying attention? Like looking at them, like seeing if they're, you know, whether they're all on their phones, which means that you probably lost them or whatever, right? So, so yeah. I think it's, it's, that's, that's also super important, just knowing how engaged people are. And, 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 you know, don't be afraid to sort of like rewind, ask questions, like temperature check, right? Like, I think it's, uh, it's, it's not an, it's much better than you talking for too long uh and and then not delivering any value so on that note i think all these like the three tips that i would say yeah uh, that's yeah, that, it. the the like everything you're saying there just it kind of makes me think like it shows that you care and that that it you know in in some sort of a business transaction when because things very rarely go exactly how you plan they're going to want to know like okay th like that's kind of your their first impression of you and you have the ability to kind of guide them and, and you know when you might have lost them. And so you can kind of help them get back on uh, uh, like kind of the same page. And that's, that's probably super critical for a business transaction, right? Like those yeah. demonstrating those skills up front. That makes yeah, a lot exactly. of sense. Man, thanks for sharing that. And the thing you were talking about different cultures, there's a guy I, was, uh, I, I did an interview with and he's in Israel and like his whole business model is just put it out there because they're so overly interactive, like they have no shame in like showing him all the flaws and everything. So yeah, it's, it's a real thing what you're talking about. Like the room, it could be you, it could be the culture. Like it's just, yeah, yeah. there's no substitute for the, the uh, experience in that, in that department. So man, thanks for sharing. I have, uh, we're, we're coming up on the hour here. I have um, uh, a few questions. I, I'm going to just have to pick. I guess I'm just gonna have to pick is is blockchain a game changer or an eye roller to you I, I think I'd probably have to be in the second camp I think, okay. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I think uh, a lot of I, I, I don't really see like other than like I mean first of all you know there's a question of like do we really need to have like this level of climate impact to to really like uh, you know have some sort of something that's basically a worse banking system at least like i, I don't know i think my experience with the U u.s banking system has not been that great but i think the banking system at least in the uk is pretty good okay um so i, I like i i feel like blockchain doesn't like their interactions are free and instant and i don't really you know have like those those problems like and and a lot of the, the like pr protections that you get or like the, all the regulation that you get get around like generally tends to be protection for your own good. So I don't necessarily see like a, the big, big, uh, yeah, sort of massive like need there. Uh, I think the programmable stuff like Ethereum is maybe probably a bit more interesting, mm -hmm. um, you know, like, you know, automatic, like sort of decentralized, you know, networks of trust and executing code that has one is probably more interesting. Um, I don't know exactly like, I'm not really like super engaged in that space, so I don't really know. But like as a as a first kind of uh, instinct, that's kind of my my hunch. Uh, but I think equivalently, I think what I like about the, the especially when the networks makes attempt to like make the network more efficient, right? No, not just like you know spend so much electricity trying to like verify things that 
a lot of people just end up using blockchain as like a slow database. And I'm like, well, is that necessary? Especially given mm. how much less efficient that is, right? No. Both from like the computational point of view and the environmental point of view and the user point of view. So I'm like, yeah, mm. that's my take. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. Uh, th this is another one of those questions where it's just like everybody has a, a whole different view. Yeah, so I like, sure. I like I to ask it to just help get people perspective and you certainly uh, shared there. So thank you very much. Um, yeah. What is the most important book that you have read? Hmm. Yeah, I, I, th I think for the, for the, you know, for the same as this one and, and, and the, probably the last one, like I'm not really saying something new right like a lot of these things have been said before but i think the book that really started me on this path of trying to like understand uh the world from like a very different point of view and it's it's a book that i think a lot of like i don't know if there's like co like co correlation causation which one it is uh that a lot of people that i ended up like working with and and having really good working relationships also read and also like is uh black swan the impact of highly improbable uh so it was it was a book i think i read it when i was like 16 or something like that and mm -hmm. uh it was like it was very new uh and i just i just really liked the sound of it uh and uh it really made me look at the world very differently mm -hmm. um and uh it's it's kind of like you know there's some there's some you know, philosophy, there's some math, there's, you know, a lot of interesting perspectives on life. Um, I think there's, uh, I, I don't, I, I think Black Swan specifically, I probably agree with almost all of it. I think, you know, Taleb, who is the, the author, I think he is a bit of a controversial figure. I don't know if I agree with everything Taleb says, and I think he can be very, uh, especially in Twitter, he can be very, he loves to pick fights. Um, so, and I don't know if that's always most productive. <laughs> he but, trolls but the I trolls. Think, yeah. <laughs> so, so I, I think, I think there, there's like maybe some balance to start there. Like ultimately always like think for yourself, but I, I think yeah. it's just an interesting, he has a lot of really interesting perspectives that, you know, you might not get from, from, from that many other places. So I definitely recommend everyone at least like giving it a try. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's, uh, uh, that's another thing. I'm, I'm growing the book list with every podcast episode. We're getting awesome books. So thank you for sharing. Uh, what is the best advice you have ever received? Ooh, it's a, it's a good question. And I actually, it's funny because I was thinking about that because I know you asked, you asked this question. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to say. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and funnily here we are. I still don't know what I'm going to say, but I think, um, I think there, I think there's a lot to be said about, and I don't know if it's maybe like one concrete piece of advice, but uh, like it's probably like a combination of a, of, a, of of influences of a bunch of people that okay. that I've had, and I think and I think a lot of it comes down to like just. whatever interaction you have, try to build more empathy, right? Like I think, and mm. I think just trying to understand, you don't necessarily have to like act on it, but like definitely try to understand the other point of view. I, f I feel like I, I worked with a lot of really talented software engineers, right? A a and and machine, learning, like machine learning researchers, scientists, whatever, um, engineers. And mm. they, they 
have a very strongly like they have a lot of strong opinions uh and, and uh they very strongly hold them but i think what you should do is like strong opinions like weekly held kind of like kind of cliche phrase as it goes right mm -hmm. so and i think that's super important it's just just like be, be able to suspend your own ways of looking at things and and that's the best generally the best way i think to solve any any problem right like try to understand their point of view and generally you'll find out that they're being reasonable it's just that there's a lot of other things that you might necessarily see or or you know uh, see the same way or internalize and maybe the context is different uh, or whatever and i think that's a that's a super like underrated advice slash skill is, is just like trying to understand you know taking the time and uh and not necessarily like you know try to like get the ego out of it and try not but don't try to prove to be right just try to understand the context a bit more yeah i i love that so much um i don't know if you've read the book the seven habits of highly effective people uh but one of the habits is seek first to understand before to be understood or something along those lines. And what you're talking about is really kind of resonates uh, with, 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 or it really reminded me of that and, and I'm certainly resonating with it. So uh, that's, yeah. that's top notch, man. Thanks for sharing that for sure. Um, yeah, interestingly, that's, uh, that's one of the books on my reading list, but I haven't oh, read it yet. Oh man, you, anyway. you won't, it's, it's timeless. I think the guy is dead now, but um, it's, it's, it's timeless. I, I mean, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid hardcore, so a little okay, biased, okay. but, uh, <laughs> okay. I, I'll bump, bump it up in priority then. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> cool, man. Uh, yeah, I was wondering what was your, uh, I, I have like maybe three more questions. Are we, are we doing good on time for you? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, cool. Yes. I was curious, what was your biggest learning moment from putting systems into production? It's mm, a good question. I think, so I think some of the things that you might know, I'll try to, I think there's three things I'll kind of spring to my head. So I'll try okay. to summarize it. So one is uh, work with your stakeholders and coming up to the empathy point, work with your stakeholders and understand like, what does it need to kind of do? Like sometimes you can like put a quick MVP in production and, and maybe you realize that actually you should like, scrap the whole project worst case right like yeah. um you, you know but it's much better to realize that now than six months from now where all the tests are done the ci cd pipeline is there the you know the deployment procedure is there the like database the fallover like you know like you know hmm. don't realize that too late like that's the worst so so like work with your stakeholders try to like you know get them used to like the quick and dirty and try and understand like okay is this good enough or not um so that's that's or even remotely in the ballpark and that sort of thing. Um, yeah. So so that's one. Number two, I would say like um, testing, testing, testing. Like of course, like you know, have you know, soft. This is all software, right? So like unit tests, uh, integration tests. I think super important. Um, and um, and if you write them well, like it might not even take that much time. Like um, so that's that's. Uh, that's something to think about. And then I guess the third thing I would say is just instrumentation. I think a lot of it is like about having like the alerting system. And I, you know, I, I, hmm. I even use this in like my training scripts, right? Which in principle, like if it fails, whatever, but like, it's really helpful to have some like instrumentation to surround like, 
you know, this is how your model is doing. And maybe, you know, you can check that from your, you know, your phone or get an email or whatever to see like, actually I need to kill this model. It's not, you know, it's way off. Like it's, there's no point or, yeah. you know, the, the models finished training or whatever. Right. Like really, really helpful. Yeah. Um, that yeah. that's like signs of life even, uh, <laughs> For some, yeah. for some of us making things, <laughs> a dashboard for signs of life. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Yeah. That's uh thanks for sharing that. And then uh, it's another kind of question around the biggest uh, learning moments that you had. Uh, what was the biggest learning opportunity or moment that you had for when you assembled the research and development data science team at Mudano? And it, hopefully I'm pronouncing that correctly. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah, interesting. I think, I mean, so I think, you know, hiring super hard and I think I'm still learning. Um, mm. I think, um, I think it, obviously you should have a really good understanding of who, uh, obviously like the, the job roles and you kind of need to have a very like intimate understanding of what it means to perform that job. Uh, which sometimes is fine. Mm. Sometimes, you know, I think I'm, I'm a little bit, you know, I'm kind of like, I have some idea, but not exactly. And I think that's, that's probably where sometimes you could be looking for the wrong person. Um, so yeah, I think the, and I, and I think like, think about your recruitment process because like the process needs to be consistent and, and repeatable and like, um, and you know however you design your process that's what kind of outcomes you'll get generally like it does depend also how you do the sourcing but like hmm. uh in general um i think the the way that you structure the process will largely will to to a surprisingly large extent dictate the types of outcomes you'll get um so so i think yeah i mean it's, it's really hard right like there's a lot of judgment calls involved at every step hmm. um so I think, it, yeah, it's just like, you know, people, you know, we're our own person and we're all like, you know, barely understand ourselves. And, and, and then now we're trying to like assess someone we have probably never met. Um, no. So of course, of course, like that is, that is, you no, know, yeah, that is, a, that is a hard uh, sort of situation to, to, to be in. So um, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of, a uh, lot to be said. I think the one uh, lesson that maybe, maybe, uh, I've learned recently, I think it was kind of tread Madonna, um, but it's, it's been, been, uh, definitely true in, in my like latest contract work. Um, when just don't underestimate like fit and personality questions. Cause I think as engineers, I think we generally tend to like, kind of like, wave it off as like this fluffy thing. But mm. actually I think they, to some extent can be very informative. I think not to overdo it, right? But I think um, they, I, I wouldn't, I'm, I used to be more dismissive of them than I am now. So I think, okay. I think that was one, one, maybe one practical takeaway. Yeah, that's, that's super tangible. So uh, just kind of being, uh, exploring a little more on that end could be like, you could really dodge a bullet or really kind of capture some, somebody uh, that maybe the technical questions wouldn't, would have kind of thrown to the wayside or said thumbs up. <laughs> mm. yeah, yeah. That, 
that's cool, man. Thanks for sharing that. Uh, I was curious, what have you learned from pitching clients, uh, uh, client facing AI solutions? Cause I know you were involved in, in, uh, that w- type of work, right? Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, we've already like discussed the clients and I think a lot of it about like knowing your audience, uh, mm-hmm. and sort of temperature checks and that sort of thing still applies. Um, huh. I, I think, yeah, I, I think a lot of the, the work that, um, that you could do beforehand. I think one of the, the, the really good things uh, that uh, I think Madonna was doing very well was that uh, um, they could, they had a lot of like Intel ahead of the pitch, right? Like you could already kind of start a place and that like, it's always so much better when you can do it ahead of the time because um, when you can kind of, no matter how good you are, or no matter how good you think you are, uh, it will it will like up like re-optimizing your your pitch on the spot is always going to be suboptimal, right? Like it's it's never going to be as good as it was when it when you know the the slides are going to be in the wrong order or going to say the wrong thing or too, too complex or not complex enough or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Like so, I think the the any like intel you can gather beforehand and structuring accordingly is already better than than just guessing okay um yeah so i think that's one like the first thing that popped into my head yeah maybe i'll leave it at that Uh, (laughs) yeah that's i i think you have a lot of value to add in the space maybe for your second book uh uh uh, go go down that path um so what what was your so you've designed data science courses what is your big takeaway from designing an effective data science course Oh man, that was so much fun, but it's also such a mind trip um, <laughs> because because uh, I think um, you just like take these things for granted and then people don't follow the convention and you're like, you're not wrong, but you're also doing it wrong because, you know, this is not how it works. But obviously I understand why you think that. So, uh, you know, it's difficult. So I think hmm. I think it's a really great experience for, especially like as an empathy building tool. Like, like I cannot recommend it enough <laughs> um, to, to 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 try to teach some people like programming and or data science. Um, hmm. And uh, yeah, I think I think um, it's it's just really interesting as a as a way to. Um, sort of start to understand like how much you take for granted, how much better you could be explaining these technical things, which is great for pitching also. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and how you could yourself, like sometimes you yourself realize there's a better way to think about a concept as you're explaining it, which I think is yeah. also like really useful as a, I've learned so much through teaching, like writing the book or these courses, like actually, you know, a lot of, a lot of the learning happens in, in you know to the students, but also happens to you. So, yeah. so I think it's uh, it's it's really it's a really good uh, way to basically like some, some sort of start to understand the the concept from a slightly different light, and definitely get better at like explaining things clearly, like through uh, you know well picked analogies or you know through through concepts that will be more accessible. Uh, and, and that, that has like a profound impact on the, uh, on the like client facing, like pitching stuff as well. Hmm. 
man, that's really, that's really cool how it all weaves together. What, what was your most memorable experience as CEO with the Entrepreneur First Accelerator? Um, so most memorable. Um, hmm. I don't know. I think EF, I really like EF as a network. I think that there's like incredible people there. And I think like London uh, has like, you know, it's such a like vast city, but at the same time, there is uh, there is uh, some... Yeah, I mean, there's just, you know, I think it's almost difficult to like narrow it down because there's so much going on. And I think one of the things that I always love to come back to and try to engage with is like more of the EF community because Mm -hmm. it's just such an incredible bunch of people. And uh, I think it's hard to distill that to one single moment, I'd say. Uh, I think there was just a lot of, like you learn from like your peers in the cohort uh, and uh, you, you, you learn so much um hmm. that uh yeah I, I think it's just like you know i think it's one of those things like you are the average of the five people you like hang out with or whatever yeah. uh, and i think that that is that is definitely true here uh, and i think you started to realize like especially um as um if you just do like that you if you well i don't want to i don't want to uh how do I put this? Like, if you're if you're in a technical role your entire life, it can be very easy to to get to have a singular perspective on things, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and I think that it's all connected to a lot of the stuff that we talked before. But I think if you if you just start to get out of that uh, of that bubble and start to understand the context, the business context of what you're doing, then you become really good at uh, you know sort of understanding what your code needs to do in context and therefore I think it makes you a better engineer as well and I think one of the things one of the tools that's really great for this is at least like entrepreneurship like pride doesn't always work I didn't like that that time didn't work out for me uh but I think um you know I, I think you you learn so much through the process so mm-hmm. definitely uh yeah definitely good lessons there from like the people around me for sure Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. And I wanted to say congratulations on your, your guys's book that you wrote. It's sold a ton of copies, right? It's like top selling. I saw some yeah. statistics on there. So uh, what, what's, yeah. what's the call to action? Where can people, we'll make sure they got a link to the Gans in Action book. Uh, where can they, uh, if they want to continue the conversation with you, uh, how yeah. would they go about doing that? Yeah, so uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm I'm reasonably active. I try to not spend too much time on Twitter, but uh, you know, like I'll so I might not reply immediately, but in like next day or two probably will. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's that's probably the best way to to engage with me, I'd say. Uh, and then obviously there's the book, uh, and uh, I'll you know I'll be pro- I'll be working for the foreseeable future in the sort of synthetic data domain adaptation space. So, you know, follow me on Twitter on LinkedIn or whatever. Um, I'll definitely, definitely be like keeping, keeping uh, people up to date that way. Awesome. Yeah. I I think you do a lot of blogging too, right? Yeah. So I think that's kind of, I need to get better at it because I, I've, I used to do a lot of blogging, like when I was starting out and I think that's one of the like great things because otherwise I don't think, uh, Manning would have ever like noticed me. Uh, so yeah. I think that would like, again, I think that's one of the good things to, to do for, for, for your listeners as well. Okay. Um, 
and and uh, yeah, I've I've stopped doing that a little bit because now like other things are kind of taking over in my life. But uh, I, I should probably get back to it because I think it's again, uh, it's a really good way. It's similar to teaching; like it forces you to like distill your thoughts to, and then get give some clarity to it. So uh, mm. yeah, I, I'll definitely try to come up with something in the next couple of months. But uh, I, I think it's uh it's it's not as regular as it used to be okay no it's all good man this interview has been a blast uh what did we leave anything off the table here that we need to uh uh unpack before before we uh part ways or or did we cover everything uh what do you think i think we covered everything thank you so much it's been a lot of fun yeah this was a lot of fun and uh i can't wait to um uh see how everybody enjoys this so uh, with that being said, I guess we'll all just catch you folks later. Thanks, Jacob. All right, fantastic. Bye. Bye.